From Sacramento, the Bishop's Radio Hour with Bob Dunning, focusing on today's issues in the context of gospel values. Now, here's Bob Dunning on Relevant Radio. That's me. Welcome to you on this beautiful day the Lord has made. Appreciate you all being with us on the Bishop's Hour as we move ever closer through in the Advent season and ever closer to the birthday of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Indeed, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it and we're glad to welcome in Angela Hassel, the executive director of our wonderful Loaves and Fishes right here in Sacramento. Angela, good day to you. Angela, are you with us? I think we've... Hi, can you hear oh, me? Oh, there you go. Yeah, very good. Yes, I can yeah. hear you fine, Angela. How are you? Okay, good. I'm good. How are you? It's great to hear your voice again. Great to hear your voice. Uh, I always know that uh, things are in good hands at Loaves and Fishes when I hear you talking about it. Uh, uh, it's it's not winter yet. We haven't turned the calendar, but it feels like winter. Right. Not technically, but um, these freezing nights sure do feel like it. Oh, boy, do they. And this morning, at least where I live, uh, we had fog, too, which made it even chillier. Oh, <laughs> yikes. Yeah. Yeah, that's hard. So how does that affect you folks? Well, you know, it means that we are doing things like making sure we have lots of hot coffee and warm showers available for folks. Um, and sometimes that means that we extend our shower service a little bit longer in the day and our staff stay a little bit late to sanitize and clean up. But we just want to make sure that anybody that, that needs those kind of really crucial warming up services have them Um you know, it means we're doing extra, extra things in collaboration with our other, our other partners in the area to make sure that folks have have warm, warm places to be overnight, even if it's just access to a warming center for a couple of hours and taking breaks back and forth. Um, keeps pretty busy, that's for sure. So explain how the shower situation works and the hours and how that all works. Yeah, so men can sign up for showers in Friendship Park. Uh, Friendship Park opens at 7 a.m. Monday through Friday, and folks can sign up for showers that usually start somewhere around 7.30, 8 o'clock. Um, and so they go back in, and they, they get a shower time, and they get called back, and they go through. Um, and, and for the men, we do a clothing exchange-type program, so they can they can go in. They can either keep the clothes that they're wearing and then get fresh, clean ones, um, or they, they can recycle their clothes through, and we'll do the laundry, and then, you know, they might go out to somebody else the next day or so. Oh, I see. Um, but for women, uh, we use the showers at our Mary House program, so women can can come in as early as seven thirty in the morning and sign up for showers over at Mary House, um, starting at seven thirty. They can sign up earlier, like around seven when we open. Similar timeline, uh, just separate part of the campus for women and children than right. for men, but very similar system. Um, and then we just kind of have time slots and we cycle people through and and hope that that. Um, at least warms them up a little bit. How, how many can you accommodate, say, in a day or a morning? Or Yeah, the men's shower house can do um, anywhere but between, like, cleaning. We can do 8 to 10 people at a time, and the Mary House showers are a little bit of a smaller facility. It's about six people at a time. 
uh, but that's still pretty good. And then they kind of rotate through. Yeah, it's not it's not too bad. And, and, we must have the biggest hot water tanks ever. I just don't know where they are because <laughs> it never seems the hot water never seems to run out. So oh, we're grateful that's for that. that's a wonderful thing to have. That's yeah. that's that's really yeah. wonderful. So, how uh, um, how late do you go with that with the showers? Yeah, so um, for Mary House, on our regular schedule, we go through 1 p.m., although lately we've, with the colder weather, we go later to like 2, 2.30 p.m. Uh-huh. Um, our staff usually get off somewhere between 2.30 and 3 because they come in on the really early side. Um, so same same for the men's wash house. We can often extend the hours out to maybe 2, 2.30 p.m. on days like this where we know that service is, is needed more than it is other days. So are, are there a number of people that are literally showering every day, hopefully? That's the goal, yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. That's Sometimes the demand is a help. little higher than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes the demand is a little bit too high to, to let folks through every single day. And we have to kind of uh, put them on an every other day type schedule. But right. the goal is that everybody gets a shower every day that they want one. Can you estimate how many people get a shower on an average day? I know where men's wash house can sometimes um, see up to 60 or 80 uh-huh. folks coming through each day. Um, and you know what? I, I'm not certain about the Mary house numbers off the top of my head. It's a little bit less than that because mm-hmm. the facility is smaller and we're also talking about women and children. So sometimes those showers take a little bit longer. It's sure. harder to kind of like pump them through as fast when they're, kids in tow and diapers and, and right. getting kids dressed and things like that. Sometimes that takes a little bit longer. So I, their numbers are typically smaller uh, than the men's wash house. But, you know, I'd say we're still doing, uh, if I were to hazard a guess, I'd say we're still doing 40 to 50 showers a day on average. Oh, that's great. Do you have enough clothes These for days, the kids? probably more than that. Mm-hmm. Between Mary House and Mustard Seed, we make we make do with, with what we have for clothes for the kids. But warm clothes... Warm clothes for kids and warm clothes for adults are always things that we need this time of year because, um, you know, then we don't have to ration as much of what we give out and we can just keep giving it out to folks who need it. Um, so those are those are definitely things that we always need this time of year, that's even if it's just sweatsuits. That's, that's something you know, our, simple. Our, our people could drop off, hopefully, people listen. Absolutely. That would be wonderful. Yeah. So it- – Take us through somebody, say somebody who's homeless and shows up at seven in the morning at Friendship Park. That's outdoors? Friendship Park is outdoors. Um, We do have um, five heated gazebos that have kind of uh, temporary vinyl walls on them. And then they have these big heaters up in the top of them. So they get they get pretty toasty and we keep it we keep it enclosed. We have to, those are gas heaters, so we have to leave like one, one end of it open. Uh-huh. Um, but it's pretty protected from the wind. It's, wa- it's waterproof. Um, and it can get, it can get pretty warm in there. And that's, that's also a nice place. So a lot of times you'll kind of see folks gathered in groups inside those structures, um, drinking coffee and eating breakfast um, and kind of signing up for showers or signing up for our, our noon meal service and just kind of getting a chance to relax and wait for those things. Um, one of the gazebos in the morning is occupied at 8 a.m. with our prayer circle through our side-by-side program, which is a, a faithful listening ministry for folks that are homeless. And so they'll do 
they'll do a prayer circle every morning with with a scripture reading um, and folks opportunities to be in community and pray together obviously it's optional um, but it is it is a really nice thing that we're seeing more and more people take advantage of these days that is um, you know also just another outlet for them and a place to build community while they kind of wait for some of their other services throughout the day yeah that's wonderful uh, so a gazebo can hold what 10 15 20 people something like that or say 20 would be would be a little bit tight but uh-huh. um we could it could work yeah we have you know picnic benches and tables and chairs inside uh-huh. all of them um so there's plenty of plenty of space to sit and plenty of pl- space for people to kind of put their bags down and rest um there's one one of the gazebos where there's often a very excitable uh, game of dominoes happening <laughs> almost every day and different tournaments and things like that. Just, you know, kind of some of those life-giving social moments that yeah. folks don't get other places where they can do that and be undisturbed. And, and it's, it's their park. We say that a lot. Friendship park. We, yes, loves and fishes owns the land and we maintain it and all that, but it is not, we don't think of it as ours. It is, it is a park of, of the people, namely, uh, folks experiencing homelessness, but it is it is their space and it is their home for that day and for those hours that we're open. And um, so we try to respect it and and provide that as such. Well, Berkeley's already claimed People's Park, so you'll have to name it something else. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe that's why we went with Friendship Park. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the, yeah. there is breakfast in, in the morning? There is breakfast, yes, in Friendship Park um, for single adults, and then women and children can go to Mary House for for a hot breakfast every every oh, weekday very, very as good. well. Yeah. So it is more than just that lunch meal. It is. Yep. Yeah. Over the years, we've expanded to to two uh, breakfast programs that provide that sustenance in the morning, so that the the noon meal isn't the only meal that folks have. Our hours don't extend long enough for dinner, um, but when there's when there's the opportunity to let folks take food to go, we do that as well. So. Explain, okay, so somebody comes and, and is in the gazebo mm-hmm. and has breakfast and maybe plays dominoes. Um, mm-hmm. Where are they going next? Maybe they sign up for the um, noon meal? They, they, most people that are there will sign up for the noon meal, um, and then we start serving that during the week at 1130 in the morning, and so they'll they'll line up in the back of French park and they'll kind of thread through this, the heart of our campus and through brother Martin's courtyard and into the dining room to sit and eat their meal. Um, and then and that's indoors after that, that's indoors. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Indoors. We've, we've resumed fully full capacity for indoor meals, um, which is, which is a really beautiful thing. And, you know, we can seat about 140 people at a time. Um, and we're averaging somewhere between five and six hundred meals a day these days, mm-hmm. uh, so it's it's quite a quite a lot of folks coming through. Um, but after after lunch, uh, folks might might return to Friendship Park, might um, they might leave for the day, or you know run their errands or do whatever else they need to do. Um, but you know, in in the summer at the end of the day is when we give out you know things like ice and water. And stuff like that. This time of year, at the end of the day, we sometimes give out um, like beanies or sleeping bags or things that we warm, warm things that we have on hand: hats, scarves, gloves, um, blankets, sleeping bags, that kind of thing. We tend to give out at the end of the day. That way, folks can kind of take it with them 
when they go um, and it sort of eases eases that closing up time because we know sometimes it's going to be it's going to be a rough few hours before we open back up again the next morning for some of the folks. At what time what time of day are you sort of closing up and and you will not have anybody there? Uh, we clean out or we kind of have last call in Friendship Park and and ask folks to start leaving around 2.15, 2.30 so that our staff can clean and go home by 2.45, 3, depending on their schedule. Okay. Yeah. And staff's yeah so 7 a.m. to about 2.45. Yeah, and the staff's getting there prior to 7, right? <laughs> yes, they get in at 6.30, 6.45. So um, that's a long day. Yeah, it's a, it's a, good, it's a good day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, early hours. Some folks are coming in as early as um, 5.30 or 6 in our dining room to start prepping the meal and, and getting the kitchen ready um, for our volunteers that come in a little bit later. So, there's there's yeah. no residential right. at Mary House either? No. No. Is it hard the to only... see the kids go off in, in, in the afternoon? It can be, Yeah. Yeah, it can be. It can be heart-wrenching sometimes just knowing that um, – Sometimes they don't know where they're going to stay for the night or, or whether or not they're going to get dinner. Um, so we do, you know, we do a lot of, of positive talk around, you know, we'll see you tomorrow. We'll be here. We'll be here in the morning and, and you'll be welcome to come back then. Um, and most of the time people do, you know, most of the time we do see them the next day and, and just kind of keep doing it one day at a time until, until their situation changes or and improves and and they move on to something more stable and then we and then it's a then it's a rejoiceful you know where sure. we get to say we'll see you later uh, but probably not tomorrow kind of a thing so we are kind of always laying in wait for that for that rejoiceful moment of knowing that they're moving into something uh, better than where they are right now what is available at mary house Mary House has um, the women's showers, the breakfast program for women and children. They have several intake workers who do kind of like the resource counseling for for single women and also for families to navigate uh, kind of the the coordinated entry system, the two on one system for shelters and other services. Um, so they can it, it can be a very convoluted, complicated system, and so we we try to do our best to sit with folks and help them navigate that when they need it. Um, Mary what, House what also are we talking about the... the coordinated entry system and the and two one one is is the hotline connected to the oh, entire sure. shelter system sure. for the city and county of Sacramento. Right. Um, every every shelter at this point um, and transitional housing opportunity it takes those referrals through through that intake system. Um, so one one phone number for folks to call to access those things or check where they are on the wait list or whatever that may, the so, next need may be. So will most, will many or most people at Mary house be uh, trying to get housing for that night? Most of them. Yeah. And will they actually yeah, get most it? Of them. Not lately. Um, that's, you know, that's kind of part of the, the frustrating part is that, you know, when folks are, you know, and, and folks are in various states of being ready for the next step of uh -huh. housing, and that's a complicated, complicated situation just with 
um, broken trust and different opportunities mm-hmm. that are promised and then don't work out and, and things like that. But, but essentially right now, um, everybody's on a wait list mm-hmm. and, and kind of the, the priority of needs, there's an assessment that goes with that and, and kind of the, the higher priority, the greater needs, people kind of go to the top of the wait list. Um, so it's, it's a very nuanced system where depending on kind of how you answer different questions and how much information you're willing to give about different very vulnerable situations in your life could affect where you end up on the wait list. And then, and then it's just the waiting game from there. Um, but, you know, we have uh, approximately 1,600 shelter beds in Sacramento and, you know, six to 10,000 people out on the streets who, wow. who aren't in those beds yet. So we're not... It's a, it can be a very long, long wait time. And the affordable housing numbers are even more dismal. There's somewhere around 60,000 people who should and would qualify for affordable housing, but we don't have the units yet. So we have a lot of building to do in Sacramento to get to that point. So we're really, we're really working with folks on a day-to-day basis and providing for their survival because we know those things are promised and, and are hopefully coming at some point, but, but it's not going to help people today. So that's that's where we come in to try to support some of those things um, in the meantime. So who's on the other people end around of, and going? Who's on the other end of the line at two one one? They have a team of intake workers and they work for and, the city or uh, the call center or? folks. I want you know that's a very good question. It might be through. I think some of it is is through. Um, Sacramento steps forward and so some of their funding is county and some of it is is federal but they're kind of the the coordinated entry so they're sort lead of agency is Sacramento like steps are, forward but but taking maybe uh, federal or state or, or local money to yeah, Sacramento Steps Forward in, in Sacramento is kind of the lead agency for a lot of the government contracts mm-hmm. for things, including coordinated entry and the, the continuum of care is another uh, name for that that system, um, that entry point system. And so I, I'm not exactly certain if the folks that answer the phone on 211 are employed by Sacramento Steps Forward or by 211 itself or kind of uh-huh. how that how that path happens, but um, but that's kind of the... That's the system that we we have right now. And where are those sixteen hundred beds? Um, spread throughout Sacramento County. So some are in you know downtown Sacramento. Some are um, some are in other in other outskirts of the county. Some of them um, are in the south area. Some are in north area. They're they're kind of spread out. Um, for that, a lot of a lot of them are are in kind of downtown area um near loaves and fishes the richards boulevard area salvation army mm-hmm. uh, first step communities have have and hope cooperative have um probably the bulk of the beds in sacramento but they are spread out throughout the city and are those available year-round or is it just winter shelters mm-hmm. nope those are all those are all year-round beds um the hard part about it is that on any given night they're typically full it's yeah. not very often that a bed comes available um, without being filled within a matter of minutes, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of call at the right time sometimes for that. So in terms of your your the number of people you see, do you see more in the winter? Often, yeah, we do. The colder weather um, is harder for folks to, to live through, and so sometimes they need our services more, especially this 
time of year, um, we do kind of see our numbers spike around the holidays for sure. Yeah, and I would think pretty obvious that rain is even worse than cold, I would think. Rain can be devastating for folks if, you know, if they don't have um, things that are appropriately weatherproof or waterproof. Um, once everything gets wet, it's, it's, with the rains in Sacramento, it's really hard for there to be a day where things can dry out yeah. adequately before it rains again. Right. So yeah, rain can be, rain can be one of the more difficult situations. And the, place... the heat is also problematic, but in my opinion, the cold and the rain are worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, when it rains where you are, it generally gets very muddy and et cetera. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's no, and you know, getting a, a clean dry pair of shoes and pair of socks lasts for a few minutes sometimes yeah, before they're right. just soaked again. So it's, it's, it's a little bit, in my opinion, it's a little bit harder to manage. The heat is also devastating for a lot of folks sure. um, in trying to stay hydrated and stay cool. But the, the rain is, the rain is fairly miserable. Yeah. And we need it. We need it so badly, but uh, it's really hard on folks living outside. So what, what might, uh, in, in terms of things that are waterproof and that, uh, tents and things, mm-hmm. are, are, can, do people drop those things off? Can they drop them off? Absolutely. Um, folks can can donate tents. We can even take used tents as long as they have all their parts and poles and, their, and such. Mm-hmm. Um, tarps are really good uh, because somebody who might have a tent that doesn't have like a rain fly or something, they could, they could break a tarp up against it. And sometimes that will really help a lot. Um, sleeping bags, blankets, we can take those things as long as they're gently used and clean, we can uh-huh. take them used as well as new. Um, and then things like uh, toilet paper and, you know, hygiene items uh-huh. and anything to keep folks warm, like hand warmers, disposable hand warmers that they can just kind of put in their pocket. Gloves. Um, those are sometimes really good gloves, hats, scarves, all those all those things, we give them out, those out every single day in, the, in this, this time of year, the weather like this. And just those regular are all clothing as well and coats things. and sweatshirts? And... Um, anything warm, yep. Any mm-hmm. sweaters, coats, sweatshirts, that kind of stuff is best. I always hear about right socks, um, that you need socks. We do. Uh, we do sometimes need socks, although this past year we have, we'd rather prioritize kind of hats and gloves and uh-huh. coats. We did... We did get a really large donation of socks through Bombas Socks, which is the company oh, that yeah, yeah. when somebody I've, buys a pair of socks from them, they donate a pair. I've heard their ads, um, and that's really true, yeah. huh? That you, for every pair it's they really, sell, they give, yeah. They absolutely do. Yeah, wow. we got a sizable donation from them um, a couple of months ago, so I think we're 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 okay on socks right now, um, and I'd rather prioritize you know kind of some of those other things, but that's you know that's true. not a that's not a forever thing. That's just kind of a this year. That's yeah. where we are right now, you know. So I'd rather I'd rather have folks prioritize some of those other higher need items, and and we could pass the socks along to other other organizations that need them just as much as we do because they're all out there in need right now too. Yeah, I've heard I've heard those ads, and and you know sometimes you kind yeah. of roll your eyes and say, well, that's a that's a pretty big commitment. Well, I'm I'm really right. glad to hear they're keeping it. That's that's. That's good stuff. No, it's it was it was fantastic to see. Um, we we received a hundred thousand pairs of socks oh a couple months ago, so it was uh, that was phenomenal to see. Just let, what were you uh, saying? Just a couple months ago. 
Mm-hmm. Yep, we wow. received them in September, I think. So we're we're working our way through it. By this time next year, it'll definitely be gone. But um, you know, yeah. It's, I think my it's, my son's it's a fantastic. Bed, my, I think my son's bedroom has about a hundred thousand socks in it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Most of them under yeah. the bed. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yep. That's what kind of socks are they? I'm fascinated now. Um, they're. They're mostly um, kind of like black crew socks, but uh-huh. they're pretty thick. They're pretty heavy. Yeah. Um, and then in various sizes and for, for men, women, and children right. as well. And I believe they're all black. So they're pretty, uh-huh. they're pretty simple, um, but they're, but folks, folks love them. They're, they're pretty warm um, and they do, you know, it, it allows us with that quantity, it allows us to just kind of keep giving them out when folks need them. Because yeah. if you're, if you're on the streets and you don't have, um, a way to wash your clothes or, or clean them, um, you know, socks become disposable. And, right. and while that's not environmentally my favorite tactic, um, if somebody's cold, we're going to, we're going to give them more socks. Yeah. That's, so, that's, yeah. That's great. So did, did they contact you or did you contact them? Uh, it was a great, we applied for it. Uh-huh. We had to apply for, through their, through the giving portion of their foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, how often does something yeah. like that come along? Oh, you know, um, that that really kind of felt like a gift from God. I don't <laughs> know how, you know, I think that they kind of try to support lots of different places and different communities. So I can't promise that this is something that we'll be able to maintain and get every year. Um, but it was pretty fantastic to re- be a recipient in such a generous quantity this time. And we're very grateful to be able to, pass those along so to folks they, who need them. Did they come up with a number or did you, they, they have some kind of a formula? They must have some kind of a formula. Uh, we submitted stats on, you know, kind of like how many folks we see and, mm-hmm. and how many times um, they come, how many days a year we're open and different things about our programs and about our facility. And then I just all of a sudden got an email one day. It said like, all right, we're going to ship you a hundred thousand pairs of socks. <laughs> Get your warehouse ready. How many, how many? How many boxes is that? That's just that's just it's it's my. It was, yeah. I don't remember off the top of my head, but it just felt like the the big truck container was was never ending. They just like kept coming out. Yeah, yeah that's really yeah. that's that's was, really something. It was it was phenomenal, and it's it's been a blessing for our guests, and and been a thing that we have really been able to, to share with the community. And so that's, that's wonderful. So um, in the last, it's nice to be able to talk about positive things once in a while. Yeah, so it's is. great. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. So in, in the last minute or two here, um, things that you, you, especially right now at Christmas time, I know people get generous mm-hmm. and uh, people in Sacramento are generous all the time, but um, absolutely. What kind of yeah. things could you, could you use right now? Yeah, you know, in addition to uh, monetary donations, things like toilet paper, um, things to protect folks against the weather. So, you know, hats, gloves, coats, scarves, um, also things like uh, fast food store gift cards. Sometimes Mm -hmm. if folks arrive on campus a little bit too late to eat our meal, we can give them like a McDonald's gift card so they can at least like eat something today. Um, Things like that are are can be life-saving for us to know that, you know, we didn't have to turn somebody away hungry. And, and even if we had to 
kind of close up our, our dining room for the day, we could we could at least send them away with something and then let them know the hours of our dining room and let them come back the next day. So any type of fast food gift cards, um, typically in the $10 range because a McDonald's meal is more than $5 now. Yeah, it it's is. Not, it's, you know, it's not as... It's not as cheap as it used to be. Um, but if, you know, whatever denomination folks are willing to give, that's fine. I can give somebody two $5 gift cards and they could still get a meal. It doesn't matter. Um, but, yeah, anything like that would be very much appreciated. That's great. Well, yeah, the, the, the McDonald's gift cards are one of the few things that have not gone up. Uh, you know, a $10 right. gift card is still $10, you know. <laughs> it, you know, it's amazing how that works. Yeah, it's great. It's inflation-proof. <laughs> <laughs> sort of <laughs> what you can get for it changes that's, but that's yeah, okay <laughs> exactly. yeah exactly well angela is it's uh, always a joy to talk with you uh, thanks for all the doing the lord's work for all of us out there and uh yeah um, well we really appreciate all the support from the sacramento community and and particularly all of your listeners so thank you so much for being here on the ride with us well you and your staff and family and everybody you serve uh, have a Happy and holy and Merry Christmas. Thank you. You as well. Thanks, Angela. God bless. That's uh, Angela Hassel, who's the executive director of Loaves and Fishes here in Sacramento. And uh, yeah, all, all kinds of things that they, they can use. So uh, just think about it and, and think about what somebody who's going to be outdoors or who's homeless uh, might need. And what, what, a, what a great idea, you know, gift cards from a place where somebody can instantly get food. That's a prob- probably one of the best things you can give. We'll take a quick break back with more on the Bishop's Hour right after this. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Drop by and shop at the thrift store, a beautiful, beautiful thrift store at 2275 Watt Avenue. Open Mondays through Saturdays from 10 to 8 and Sundays from 11 to 6. They also accept donations at the store, donations of furniture, appliances, clothing, books, everyday household items, your donations help to fund the many projects of the St. Vincent de Paul Society throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Do such wonderful, wonderful work, and the thrift store is uh, one of the, the ways they uh, raise the funds to help people throughout the diocese, and also uh, uh, many of their clients are able to access the uh, thrift store for uh, items that they need. You can uh, give them a call. They will come pick it up as well, but you can uh, give them a call. They're at 916 972 one two one two and remember again the thrift store is open uh seven days a week at 2275 watt avenue right here in sacramento well bishop soto refers to christ the king retreat center as the jewel of the diocese and indeed it is what a beautiful oasis it is it's located in citrus heights uh, right in the hustle and bustle of the city and you feel like you're getting away from it all when you uh, turn off the main road and just uh, uh, come into Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center. Christ the King has served Northern California and the Diocese of Sacramento for over 60 years through parish weekend retreats, individual spiritual direction, and a variety of other programs. For information on all the programs that they offer, including residential programs, give them a call. They're at 916-725- 4720, or you can visit them at 6520 Van Maren Lane in Citrus Heights. And we certainly thank uh, the St. Vincent de Paul Society and Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center for their fine and longstanding support of the Bishop's Hour. 
We'd like to thank all the wonderful people and organizations, uh, businesses in town uh, and throughout the Diocese of Sacramento who have provided underwriting for the Bishop's Hour, uh, some in the last few years, some uh, have been with us for a very long time. If you would like to be an underwriter for the Bishop's Radio Hour, uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to, to support this mission and also to support the diocese and also uh, to get some uh, recognition for uh, your organization or for your business. The easiest way to do this is to uh, give us a shout, send us an email, radio at scd.org, and we can give you all the details about uh, helping to underwrite the Bishop's Radio Hour. Again, that's radio at scd.org. This is Lori Power, Associate Superintendent with the Catholic School Department. You are listening to the Bishop's Hour with Bob Dunning. Thank you, Lori, for all the great work you do here in the Diocese of Sacramento and for that wonderful introduction. We're pleased to uh, go to the uh, great St. Rose School in uh, the great city of Roseville, and we're talking with Principal Michael Garcia. Michael, good day to you. Hi, good evening. Good to have you with us. Uh, much much appreciated taking some uh, overtime with us, if you will. <laughs> Although I, oh, no, I, I, I know principals are, you're, you're kind of 24-7 guys. Oh, definitely. Yes, it's it. So it's always on, so oh, I mean, I, I'm happy to be here with you. Well, we're happy we're happy to have you. Too. Tell us, first off, uh, a little bit about your school. It's been around quite a while in the great city of Roseville. Oh, yeah. We, uh, St. Rose School has been uh, around since 1960, founded by the Sisters of Mercy. Uh, and, you know, it's been thriving in, in the community. It's been uh, a great connection to the uh, parish and the uh, community, and we're just really thrilled with the uh, the growth that we've had with uh, working with community and uh, all the people that help make St. Rose uh, the wonderful school and parish that it is. How, how many students do you have? Currently, we have uh, 240 students. Uh-huh. And that's uh, pre-K yeah. and all through eight? Yeah, we uh, have a TK program TK. and all the way up through eighth grade, yes. Uh, and draw primarily from the Rosemill area or do you draw from some other outlying areas? Yeah. Um, we actually, uh, reach out to all the parishes in our deanery. So, Oh really? Um, That's the Placer know, deanery? Yeah. <laughs> yes. West Placer deanery. So, uh, all the way out to St. Joseph and Lincoln and, wow. uh, the, and, uh, Orangevale. <laughs> so we, we have a great mix of, of families that come and join us. So it's been a, it's a wonderful opportunity to reach out to the different parishes and, uh, different communities that we bring together at St. Rose School. Tell us a little bit uh, about yourself and uh, your, your career path that led you to St. Rose. Yeah. So, uh, I'm actually in my 25th year of, uh, of Catholic education. Wow. Um, I, yeah, I actually have been uh, with uh, Catholic, uh, um, uh, employed by uh, Catholic uh, opportunities uh, for 30 years. I started as a youth minister in the Bay Area mm-hmm. uh, for five years. Uh, and then I started in uh, at, with a Mercy High School in Burlingame. Uh, oh, okay. I taught there for 15, yeah, 15 now, years. Is that, uh, Archdiocese of San Francisco? It is, yeah. yes. So I taught there for 15 years as a science teacher and ed tech director and uh, coach cross country and track and field. And I had the opportunity to uh, become a tech director and administrator at a K through eight school 
um, along the peninsula. And um, it, prior to at the beginning of the pandemic, my uh, wife and children, uh, we did our distance learning out here in, mm-hmm. in Lincoln. And uh, my wife and kids decided that they wanted to stay. And I was committed to the school I was working at for um, uh, and stayed uh, for a couple of years, commuting back and forth. Uh, uh, and uh, then I had this calling to uh, St. Rose. There was an opportunity for me to come here and be close to my family. And, uh, you know, God works in uh, great ways and uh, brought me home uh, with my family and brought me to a great community. Um, and now I'm happy to, you know, really call uh, St. Rose my home. So did you grow <laughs> you know, up home in this is area? Where the heart is. Did you grow up in this no, area or no. the Bay Area? I grew up in the Bay Area. I was uh, born in, in San Francisco and raised uh, uh, in that area in Daly City, right on the outskirts. Oh, and, uh, no Daly City. But, well, yes. we, <laughs> we my uh, my mom's sister and her family lived in Daly City, and every Thanksgiving they'd come to our home in Davis, and every Christmas we'd go to their house in Daly City. I st- I st- oh, yeah. I still remember they lived at Five Dorchester Drive. You know, I just. Oh. <laughs> Could, I could probably find it even today, you know. So, oh but, yeah, if you could look through the fog. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. I was saying, yeah, it was very, very near the beach, and uh, that it was always, it was just always, always foggy. So, where did you get your education? Uh, I went to San Francisco State University. Actually, oh, one started of the good in ones. the uh, yeah, yeah. So I, um, I received my undergrad there, and then I continued with my master's in instructional technologies there. Uh, uh, as well as getting my teaching credential all through yeah. that uh, university, yes. So it, it was a it was a nice experience there. Uh, just uh, I had the opportunity and uh, to uh, graduate with my wife. We both oh, entered wow. the master's program, yeah, at, in instructional technologies. And she started before me. Um, we got married and we paused as she, we started to have a family. I joined the program and we happened to graduate uh, together. And during our uh, master's uh, presentation of our final projects, they actually asked me to present hers for her <laughs> because we had worked so hand in hand in uh, in achieving our uh, degrees together. I remember uh, for for years I was a sports writer covering games in the old Far Western Conference, which San Francisco State was a member of, and and we'd go to football games down there in Cox Stadium, and I looked down on the field one day. And there was a real alligator down there. They were the Gators, and there was a real yes. alligator on, on the football field. Yeah. yeah. And I, I remember having a, a little bit of a, a conflict with my editor because he changed Gators, O-R-S, to Gators, E-R-S, in my story. And, and I said, why did you do that? And he said, well, they're the Golden Gators, right? And I said, no, they're the Alligators. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that's a beautiful campus and uh, really high academics as well. So you coach track and cross country. Every track and cross country yeah. coach I have ever come across is a scientist. I mean, they're out there <laughs> with their stopwatches and their charts and their all this, you know, uh, information about, you know, how you, know, you don't just tell them to go run. You know, you you really are are scientists, and uh, you know, football coaches they just tell them to go play. You know, but uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I I found that track and cross country they were they were really into the science of of 
physiology and, and all of that. Oh, definitely. The, the numbers games, you know, with the developing workouts to again, the physiology, as you said, right. with, um, and even just the challenge of, uh, coaching students and saying, you know, they're, they're going to be things harder in life than putting one foot in front of the other, right. just getting them in that mindset. So, you know, it's, it's very, uh, satisfying to see, um, athletes achieve, but also it's, a, it's that spectator part where, right. uh, when I was coaching cross country, once the gun went off, I was no longer a coach. I was a cheerleader sure, so just sure. to see the success that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a, those are grueling sports. So, uh, especially, especially cross country. It's like one of my kids yeah. was in, uh, cross country in, uh, high school and, oh, wow. You know, it, she put in a lot of hours you know, and, and she was not the fastest kid in the, in the, in the pack, but, uh, but she stayed, she stuck with it, you know, and, yeah. and, le- and, you know, learned, a, uh, you know, you talk about life lessons and, uh, she, she definitely learned, learned some life, life lessons about hard work and, and how to lose gracefully and, uh, et cetera. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, Tell us about your role now. now you're, not, you're not in the classroom, but but you must be in the classroom a lot, right? Oh, definitely. That's, oh, the things that uh, happen in the classroom are just the things that uh, make everything worthwhile. You know, all the meetings and paperwork and, you know, all the things that I always said, oh, these are things I don't like to do, uh, but I get through them because of the learning that happens in the class. Uh, it was a wonderful thing today just seeing my uh, our campus minister, uh, uh, Josh Holcraft. He um, is our youth minister at the parish, and he's come over to be our campus minister. And today with the um, feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, he right. dressed up as uh, Juan Diego oh, and, wow. was act- and acting it out with the first graders and just seeing that um, that connection that uh, our all of our faculty and staff with our students. Um, it's a, it's heartwarming to to be in there and see that happen. Uh, so uh, I miss the classroom, of course, and uh, but being able to see it uh, in different ways each day is is just a, a blessing. You know, I I just love seeing uh, all of them at work and seeing the learning happening. And uh, so, yeah, I do miss the classroom, but uh, I get to see it in so many different ways now. Tell us a little bit about some of the extracurriculars there, the community service, uh, PAL, things like that. Oh, so, yeah, we we have been doing a lot with uh, community outreach. Right now we're, we're in our uh, drive for uh, working with the Knights of Columbus at, at St. Rose Parish and doing our toy drive uh-huh. and raising funds for uh, the Christmas dinners right now, we have our second grade teacher, uh, Gabriella Dutra. She's in the lead right now with our students that are putting money into little buckets to see who's going to wear the turkey suit because we <laughs> use the money to buy turkey. <laughs> so it's a, it's a tight race between uh, Mrs. Dutra and our PE teacher, Clay. Is that an uh, honor Schmidt. or so, is that a... <laughs> it, uh, it, it is... It, it is a an honor. I think they're they're really pushing to to want to wear it, and you know, there's a few dollars in Father Michael's uh, bucket as well. But uh-huh. it, it is in a little bit of a badge of honor to to be in that turkey seat. But uh-huh. you know, working with the uh, the Knights of Columbus has been wonderful. They just did uh, they helped host our breakfast with Santa this past weekend, and they they cooked for the uh, the parish and the students, and uh, it was a wonderful event as well. 
but uh, we they are uh, the parish and the school working really well together to you know working in the community and um, just finding different ways we can uh, work with the parish our TK students and kindergarten students help uh, uh, package some of the snacks and decorate lunch bags for our homeless lunch program with the parish so that connectivity of of um, knowing that the students are uh, impacting and doing more than just what's what they're learning but knowing that they're doing things to help uh, everybody else in, in our area is um, it's a wonderful thing to see yeah you know the city of roseville and st rose uh, especially are really renowned for uh, uh, outreach to the homeless yes yeah and um yeah it's all all over and apparent to us that uh you know we are doing what we can uh, as a school and as a parish to uh to help those uh, all around us you know you, yeah, you, so um go ahead oh i was just circling back to some of the you know extracurricular and the mm-hmm. programs that we have here where you know we are um we do a lot of outreach um activities for the students after school uh we have a guitar club that's uh, uh three days a week we have students from uh third grade on up to uh, learning guitar we have chime bells and um uh, bell choir and a chorus and uh, we started a robotics program uh-huh. uh this school year so it's really exciting that the things that uh the students are looking outside the co-curricular activities uh that's they're uh, really uh, thriving in right now. Robot- robotics has just gone crazy at the at the in elementary and high schools now. Just unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, it's just the mindset that these students have. the The way they can approach uh, uh, a set of problems and look at it from a different uh, point of view. Our uh, third through fifth grade, we started implementing coding classes for them, mm-hmm. um, and they just uh, they are. You know, it's one of the highlights of their week when they have they get to have their coding class, uh-huh. and then uh, the opportunity to do the robotics. And um, so we're looking to uh, continue and expand that uh, as, as the opportunity comes up in the future. Is robotics always going to be an extracurricular? Or will it ever be, you know, part of the academic offering? You know, that that's my hope. Uh, you know, I coming from a science background and uh, and then working in technology as well. Uh, I've always seen the idea of uh, taking a science program and making it into a, a STEAM program, uh-huh. science, technology, engineering, engineering, arts, and math, and just uh, uh, creating a tinker lab and allowing students just to you know, get a 3D printer. You don't have a part. Let's build it and mm-hmm. make it right here so we can make things happen. So I really can see that uh, uh, growing and thriving Um with the you know this beginning of uh, of a robotics club that we're building, <laughs> you mentioned Father Michael, uh, Father Michael Barquatro. Uh, yes, a lot of coordination with with the, with Saint Rose the parish and Saint Rose the school in terms of the presence of of Father Michael on on campus. Oh yeah, it's so key to uh, have him. Uh, present with the students and seeing them, you know, once a week he comes onto campus to meet with me and then uh, we'll occasionally have a walking meeting uh, when the weather's nice and we'll go out and the students see him, you know, giving him a high five or, you know, bumping knuckles and, uh, you know, or giving a hug, you know, they, they just uh, really take to him, um, his presence that uh, when we have our weekly mass uh, and the words that he shares with them is, is so key to 
uh, what our mission is to bring the Catholic faith to life. That's um, so key in how he um, is instrumental, whether it's either direct working with me or with the students or being present to play with them. Every year we have a faculty and staff uh, basketball game and he joins us uh, in that. And, uh, you know, that's showing that uh, human side of, of who a pastor is to mm-hmm. us. Uh, you know, I, I truly appreciate the, the uh, working relationship we have, but even beyond that, the, the friendship and bonds that uh, Father Michael and I have is uh, really key to, uh, you know, sharing our vision of where we see the parish and the school uh, growing from here. But his his ever presence, whether it's, as I said, directly him being there or, you know, the support that he offers us to, with the things we want to grow into, the uh, you know, working with our uh providing me the opportunity to bring our youth minister over as our campus minister, that, that connectivity, um, showing that we are truly one, one, um, uh, one uh, entity as mm-hmm. we work towards our goals. How many, what, what percentage of uh, your student body would be uh, parishioners at uh, St. Rose specifically? At St. Rose, I'd say we're probably about 40. Oh. My, my best guess right now, the last time I looked at the numbers, is probably about 35 to 40% of us are uh-huh. uh, at St. Rose's parishioners. Uh, again, we have a strong, uh, a good number of families that are part of uh, St. Clair's uh, in Roseville right. as well. Right. And, um, yeah. So. Yeah, St. Clair's does not have school, right? Right. Yeah. So, that, that, but uh, yeah, as part of, you no, know, we um we've always been a, a part of uh, uh their community. At, at the end of Catholic Schools Week, we mm-hmm. get to go to uh, have our student body president speak at uh, one of their masses. So we kick off our Catholic Schools Week uh, in January with uh, events at like open house at St. Rose, and then we end at St. Clair's uh, because mm-hmm. of the great number of families that are part of us as well. Do you have a, a, a strong PAL program as well? Yes, we um, we um, are involved in basketball and little dribblers this season. So it's been uh, exciting to see some of the teams practicing right now. And um, we are, uh, um, again, in the fall, we had our flag football and uh, girls volleyball team and cross country team, of course, and uh, getting heavily involved in basketball right now and going to host a a couple of nights for JV. <laughs> we'll have some host nights with uh, host days on Saturdays for little dribblers as well. And then definitely in the spring, we were involved with the uh, uh, track and field and uh, golf. So uh, it's it's these uh, sports are continuing to grow as we um, look for um, more students to partake in these uh, these opportunities. Very good. Well, it is just such a such a joy to talk with you and to hear of all the great, great things happening at uh, St. Rose school. And I, I uh, wish uh, you and everybody there, uh, you and your family and uh, everybody you work with and all your students and uh, uh, all the parishioners there and father Michael as well. uh, Happy and holy and Merry Christmas. Oh, Merry Christmas to you as well. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. Thanks very much, Michael. Uh, Take care. That's uh, Wow. Well, it's just it's just great to uh, have people like that on uh, Michael Garcia, the principal of St. Rose in Roseville. Uh, 
Bishop Soto, uh, this week you've probably seen it in the news, or maybe you heard it in your parish, but uh, he has penned a letter to the faithful about the upcoming bankruptcy uh, uh, movement uh, that uh, the diocese is undertaking. Uh, this is the letter which uh, Bishop Soto penned. Uh, it's, it's available on the diocesan website, and you probably, probably maybe you've seen it in your parish bulletin or someplace else. Uh, dear friends in Christ, after careful consideration and consultation, I have made the decision to file a Chapter 11 petition on behalf of the Diocese of Sacramento with the United States Bankruptcy Court in 2024. I expect to do so in March. It is now clear to me that the only respectful, transparent, and fair way to address the substantial number of claims by those who have been abused by clergy and other members of the church is to seek a court-supervised reorganization this process will also allow me to sustain the sanctifying teaching and charitable work of the Catholic community in Northern California. Without such a reorganization process, it is likely that not all of the abuse victim survivors would receive a fair consideration of their claim. The funds available to settle claims could be depleted by the first few cases addressed, leaving, leaving those that follow with little or no compensation. Last spring, I presented the very serious financial situation for the Diocese of Sacramento as I responded to more than 250 lawsuits alleging sexual abuse by clergy or other church staff. I had promised to update you when I had reached a decision regarding the path forward. I remain steadfast in my belief that I must continue to atone for the horrible sin of clergy sexual abuse. The sickening evil that was perpetrated upon innocent children and the failure of church leadership to address it appropriately has caused unfathomable pain that endures. It is these sins, it is these sins that brought us to this place. Pray for the healing of victim survivors. The pain inflicted on them lasts a lifetime, and so our atonement must be a lifetime commitment. This is a Bishop Soto's letter to the faithful. The reorganization process would allow the work of the diocese to continue. My coworkers and I will continue to support parishes, schools, and charitable organizations serving families and communities in need. Importantly, parish and parishes and schools would continue their operations uninterrupted. It is only the administrative office of the bishop that will be seeking bankruptcy protection. Bankruptcy is a costly and lengthy process, but it, is also, but it also provides supervision and transparency for all the parties involved so that a fair resolution will, uh, is offered to the victim survivors of abuse. Please join me in prayer for this journey of atonement and renewal that must begin. With God's mercy, we will emerge from this necessary penitential exercise with greater resolve to be a humble sanctuary of holiness and healing for all the sons and daughters of God in Northern California. Respectfully, Jaime Soto, Bishop of the Diocese of Sacramento. You can tell that the bishop really, really feels this very strongly, uh, that, that these victims must be taken care of, um, and that uh, this, is, this is really the only way to do it equitably. And uh, the, the, point, the point that's made is that uh, bankruptcy, it's, it's a very transparent process. All the assets are put out there, or whatever you have. And, and then the, the bankruptcy court will consider all 250 of the claims as opposed to uh, considering them one at a time uh, with individual lawsuits 
as as Bishop pointed out, where the the first handful of lawsuits may uh, deplete all the resources and everybody else gets nothing. This way, uh, everyone will be treated equally. That doesn't mean everyone gets a, a, a similar settlement, but the, but each one is part of the whole. So um, it's a it's a tough time. Uh, it requires our, our prayer and uh, uh, prayers and most definitely our compassion. And uh, but the church of the work the work of the church will go on and hopefully uh, these victims will be uh, compensated in some way. But the bishop makes it very clear to that we should all pray for the victims of uh, sexual abuse. Um, that uh, has been a very difficult, difficult, difficult time, obviously for them and also for our church. That's going to do it for us for today. Thanks for listening. God bless. I feel burning deep inside of me. I feel your spirit is moving
Yeah.